Welcome to the EY India Insights podcast. I'm your host Tarang Kapoor and today we embark on a journey to unravel the intricate economic tapestry of India's macro fiscal landscape. In this episode, we deep dive into reasons for India's robust second quarter real GDP growth at 7.6%, showcasing the nation's ability to remain a global growth leader, not just in the current year but in the medium term as well. To facilitate this discussion further, we are joined by Dr. D.K. Srivastava, a distinguished economist, honorary professor of Madras School of Economics and EY India's chief policy advisor. We <coughs> welcome you, sir, to this podcast. Together, we dissect the growth numbers to identify factors driving India's growth as well as any challenges that the policymakers should look out for. Let's kick off by understanding the driving forces behind India's strong economic growth. Dr. Srivastava, could you please elaborate the factors that have propelled the impressive growth of 7.6%, well above the RBI second quarter estimate? Can you also let us know your assessment of growth for this year as a whole? Thank you so much for having me, Tarang. You are most welcome, sir. Well, we were all pleasantly surprised by this quarter's growth number. As you know, the RBI estimate was much lower than the actual uh, estimate that we got at 7.6%. If we bring it together with the first quarter growth of 7.8%, then we have a first half growth of 7.7%. This augurs well for the overall annual growth expectation for all, all of us. In fact, the RBI has estimated it at 6.5%. The IMF had estimated it at 6.3%. I think we are well on our way either to meet the RBI expectation of 6.5% or even exceed it marginally. And the reason for this is that uh, this growth in the second quarter signals certain uh, important features. First of all, we notice that it is a very broad-based growth rate in the sense that most of the sectors are showing good, robust growth. Second feature is that it signals a complete recovery from the pre-COVID levels uh, of the Indian economy in the sense that all sectors have reco recovered uh, over and above the magnitudes that were rec recorded in the pre-COVID year of FY20. And the third good feature is that we have achieved this in spite of a very adverse global set of circumstances. And therefore, this is driven almost entirely by domestic demand. Now, within domestic demand, the notable characteristic is that it is the central government which has taken the lead in driving domestic demand. First of all, we read this in terms of the growth in gross fixed capital formation, which is what we sometimes call as the investment rate. In the first half of FY24, this growth is 9.5%. And in fact, center's capital expenditure growth is at 43.1% in the first half of this year. That means that the center has had budgeted a high growth and most, in, uh, and most of that expenditure has been front-loaded in the first two quarters of the fiscal year. 
also although not uh, present in the central figures but we have noted indirectly that the state governments have also been rather positive in terms of supporting capital expenditure of the central government as a result there have been certain crowding in factors that have kicked in and in, it is as a result of that that we will find that uh, that the sectoral growth rates have picked up because the central government has generated demand which has uh, spread out to the other sectors thank you sir for your lucid and thoughtful insights now moving on to sectoral dynamics i have two questions first which segments have performed relatively better and second what does this imply for employment prospects well tarang some of the important sectors which have done rather well and if we consider the first half as a whole that is to say the first and the second quarters considered together and we notice that manufacturing has grown by 9.3% construction at 10.5% and financial real estate and professional services at 9% these are high growth sectors and these carry a good weight in the construction of the output of the economy that is gross value added but in addition some of the service sectors have also signaled very positive recovery i would particularly mention two one is public administration defense and other services and this is the sector where uh, central and state government expenditures particularly on uh, capital expenditures get recorded this sector has shown a growth of 7.7% and the other sector that i mentioned namely trade hotels transport communication and services relating to broadcasting this is a sector which has very high weight in the gva close just a little less than 20% this sector has also grown when we consider the first half together at 6.6% now why this is important is that this is an employment intensive sector and this is the sector that had also suffered most uh, due to the covid shock so its recovery at 6.6% is a very good signal for the economy and that confirms that the that the entire economy has recovered from the pre covid shock we also notice that it is this sector which in the first quarter had a magnitude which was still lower than the corresponding magnitude in the pre covid year of fy20 it is it has now recovered fully from that covid level so the magnitude has crossed and this is why i say that all sectors have recovered from their pre covid levels and the recovery of the economy now is now confirmed as full and complete thank you very much sir now shifting gears let's turn our attention to the challenges to growth in your assessment sir what are the key risks to india's fy 2024 growth prospects well tarang i notice three important risks the first risk emanates from the global conditions within which india is forced to operate in in the global scenario there three crises occurred in quick succession first of all we had the covid shock which led the indian economy into a contraction and after that we had two shocks emanating from the uh, 
uh, first the Ukraine-Russia war, and after that the Israel-Hamas war. And these two crises also led to a supply side challenge for the Indian economy. And it, suffering was more for the rest of the world in the sense that global economy went into a slowdown. Some of the developed economies actually entered into recession. As a result, India's exports uh, slowed down considerably. And uh, the risk that is now being faced by India is that our the contribution of our net exports is going to be negative. It is going to be negative, not only in this year, but also in the medium term. So the message is that we have to now depend almost entirely on domestic uh, factors that would drive growth. That, those factors have to be stronger enough to not only overcome the negative impact of uh, global factors, but also give us positive growth, which is what has happened as per the second quarter results. The second uh, risk is associated with agricultural growth. Agricultural growth in this quarter has been low at 1.2%. Uh, Even if we consider the year as a whole, uh, the first half of the year, it is going to be 2.4%. This is, in fact, a temporary uh, risk in the sense that it was caused by deficient monsoon this year and it's an uneven spread. But uh, we expect that even if we reach something in the range of 25 to 3% for agriculture, it would still be quite satisfactory in the sense that agriculture is a sector known for its cyclical uh, nature. In fact, if we examine its uh, performance over a longish, longish period of time, we have noted that the agricultural cycle is uh, for about three years on average. That is to say, in three years, it goes from peak to peak or trough to trough. And uh, since we have had good agricultural growth in the previous three to four years, it is not something unexpected that in this year we will have a lower growth. But even 25 to 3% would be, I think, satisfactory. The third risk is associated uh, with uh, something uh, which is not recognized in general in the discussions as yet. And that is that there is a possibility in this year of nominal GDP growth being somewhat lower, lower than even what was expected in the budget. The budget had expected a 10.5% nominal growth. But nominal growth is actually the outcome of two factors, real GDP growth and implicit price deflator based inflation. Now, it is the latter that is uh, expected to be close to zero. And the reason is that even though consumer price inflation has been uh, relatively high, it is the WPI, Wholesale Price Index, which is uh, keeping uh, quite low at 0% or so. So we expect that uh, the nominal GDP growth may be close to 9 to 9.5% below the expectation that was made in the budget estimates. As a result, there would be an impact. There would be a possible impact on tax revenues, but there are other mitigating factors that we shall discuss. 
Thank you, sir, for elaborating the three key risks to India's growth and taking cue from the last risk that you had mentioned. Now that we are approaching the interim budget presentation, I would like to seek your views regarding the prospects for achieving the budgeted fiscal deficit target of 5.9% of GDP for the fiscal year 2024, especially in the light of subdued performance of indirect taxes and expenditure side pressures. Well, the positive news on the fiscal side is that our direct taxes are doing very well, both the personal income tax and the corporate income tax. It is, as you say, the indirect taxes that are uh, a cause of concern, but this concern may be overcome by the more than expected buoyancy of the direct taxes. Now, we have data for the first seven months in terms of growth of gross tax revenues of the central government, and that is showing a 14% growth. Within that 14% growth, direct taxes have grown by 24.1%. So they have grown such that they have overcome the uh, indirect taxes growth. Within indirect taxes, GST has grown at 8.4%. But it is the union excise duties which have grown at negative 9.3%. So we expect that the fiscal deficit target of 5.9% would be either met or it might be missed but by a very small mar margin. And the reason is that there are certain pressures uh, arising from uh, subsidy expenditures that were not fully budgeted. And uh, we expect that there may be some impact of some of the recent schemes that have been announced by the government of India, such as the extension of the free food grain scheme and the extra costs that are now being uh, met in the rural employment guarantee scheme. Uh, apart from that, the LPG subsidies and fertilizer subsidies may also cause something extra. Together, we consider these the impact of all of this at about 85,000 crores in addition to what was budgeted. Now, this may have to be overcome by the extra buoyancy of the direct taxes. There may be some revenue side restructuring that may give us uh, scope for adjustment. Our overall assessment is that in spite of these pressures, we may be able to either meet the fiscal deficit target or miss it by a small margin. What would be of importance is that whatever we achieve in FY24 in terms of fiscal deficit, whether we are able to continue on the glide path of correction for fiscal deficit, namely that uh, we reach uh, a level of 4.5% in two years time, so I would say that if we have a 5.2% fiscal deficit in FY25 and 4.5 next year, then we would still be uh, making satisfactory progress towards showing uh, our intent to meet our fiscal consolidation targets. Thank you very much, sir. My last question for this episode is about a lesser understood aspect relating to the interplay between fiscal discipline and growth and how you see this panning out in the medium term in the Indian context? Well, fiscal discipline and growth are interlinked 
uh, in two respects uh, somewhat directly. First of all, it is the revenue deficit, consolidated revenue deficit of central and state governments, which translates into this savings of the uh, government sector, overall government sector. So if we have a balance on revenue account, we will have these savings that are zero. So it is important, therefore, to maintain this fiscal discipline on the revenue account of the budget of the central and state governments, because that adds overall uh, to the available resources from which investments can be uh, sourced. The second consideration is that if we have fiscal deficit uh, along a sustainability path, then we are able to contain the burden of interest payments relative to revenue receipts of the governments. And if we contain the burden of interest payments, this releases funds for undertaking capital expenditures, which will contribute to growth. So in order to ensure that we are uh, supporting growth, what we need to do is to spend on capital expenditures so that infrastructure can be created. And for this purpose, uh, we have spelled out a Fiscal Responsibility and Budget Management Act, which has certain targets. And according to those targets, if we say that the fiscal responsibility targets are being met, then we will face with, we will be faced in the market with reasonable interest rate conditions. So it is important for growth that FRBM targets are met. And in fact, FRBM target should be supplemented by a revenue deficit, revenue account balance target so that we have relatively higher savings. From higher savings, we get higher investment and that investment gets translated into growth uh, by utilizing a, in, an incremental capital output ratio. For example, if we have a nominal, G, nominal saving rate of 29% and we make certain adjustments and this gets translated into a nominal investment rate of 29%, then we have noticed that re, corresponding real investment rate is about 33%. This difference comes about because of the fact that capital goods inflation has kept lower than normal uh, goods inflation. And 34% would translate into about 6.5% growth. If only we could add to our overall saving by two percentage points, we should be able to maintain a medium term growth of about 7%. That would be very desirable for our Amrit Khan uh, growth goals, and that would usher Indian economy onto a medium to long-term growth path that would convert our economy into a developed economy. Thank you very much, Dr. Srivastava, for joining us in this session and providing us your invaluable insights. Thank, thank you, Tarang. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you to all our listeners. Stay tuned for more captivating discussions on EY India Insights. Don't forget to subscribe for the latest updates. Until next time, this is Tarang Kapoor signing off.